congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we think about this particular portion of the profession of faith that we've been called to make in Jesus Christ, uh, we, we recall also that as we do that about Jesus Christ, we, we see that He is uh, this Christ who was humiliated, but then also exalted. And uh, we find that we are making that profession uh, as we do, and, and we find that we make it to our comfort. Um, and, and, and as we look at this uh, confession that we make about Jesus Christ, so much of what we make about that profession is things that have, have occurred in the past. And to our comfort, to be sure, as we think about all these things that occurred before his, in, in terms of his humiliation and his exaltation. But there's one area that's yet to come. And that's that area for the future about His coming to judge the living and the dead. That's a future event. And we profess that, of course, about Christ in His exaltation. He is ruler, though the wrong seems off so strong. God is the ruler, and, and Christ is that uh, one who has all authority. He is Savior. He's accomplished that already. But He will be judged. Now, the future can be so disconcerting to us uh, so that we often find that there's little certainty about what will happen. People live like that. They say, you know, if I, how, can I, how can I get optimistic about what's coming when, I, when I, I'm, not, I'm just not sure what policy is going to be like and I, and I just don't know the certainty of my own future vocationally. People get uneasy about that. They find that very... Uh, disconcerting. And it can be a fearful thing to consider the future because of the fact that so many things about it are unknown. And they all fall into that category of the fear of the unknown. And there are many things about the future that are very hard to predict. And if it could, what a difference that would make in our lives, wouldn't it? And even those who, who rest their confidence in Jesus Christ, hear the calling that as you're making your plans, as you've got these ideas about what life's going to be, be careful. Because it, you, you get reminded as a Christian person that you need to be saying, yeah, if the Lord wills, we will be doing this and that. I, I think about that even, you know, and I, I don't always get that right either, of course, and, but even in you know, putting a bulletin together and you're saying, well, okay, Reverend Vermeer and Elder Scott Van Bemmler, you know, I didn't, I didn't write, I purposely did that, right? So I said, well, we're going to spend Monday and Tuesday as delegates in class at Central U.S. Well, I don't, I don't know that for a fact, right? I said, we're scheduled to do that, but, but you don't know what's going to happen, we don't know what the future holds in that regard. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And yet the confidence with which we confess about the path of Christ, we've got to keep that in mind, the confidence with which we confess about the path of Christ is the spirit that we can take into the future about Christ. 
That's what happens in our passage. We'll look at that in a moment. But the very same sovereign over heaven and earth who has brought Jesus to earth in the fullness of time has fixed the day for judgment to occur in the future. And therefore we can trust what is coming in Christ as much as we can trust what has happened in the past in Christ's first coming. Those then who anticipate the return of Christ will heed the warning of His imminent return, but also the consolation of His imminent return. Those are the points of our passage or our sermon today. Uh, and that's as we ponder the Christian confession that Christ is going to come to judge the living and the dead. Those anticipating the return of Christ heed the warning of His imminent return. So what can we say about that warning? Well, the Apostle Paul, as, as he was proclaiming the gospel to people who lived in a city that was full of idols and unbelief, included in his proclamation a warning that God fixed the day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all, by raising him from the dead. And so what the Apostle Paul's argument is here is this. He says, look, what has happened in the past with Christ, with certainty regarding his resurrection, is the basis of what will happen with Christ in the future, with certainty. There's going to be a coming, there's going to be a judgment, in the future, and the proof of that has to do with the fact there's an assurance of that because Christ was raised from the dead in the past. So be warned. So what do we glean from that warning? Well, I think there's, there's five things that you, if you're taking notes uh, that you could you can glean from that. Well, if you're taking notes or you're not taking notes. But first of all, it's it's an urgent warning. It's an urgent warning. It's, it's something that is included in the gospel presentation just like it's included in the gospel confession to the world because people need to understand that this judgment is serious. When that time comes, when Jesus returns bodily to judge the living and the dead, that'll be the end of it. No second chances, no third or fourth return. No setting up of an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem for a thousand years. That'll be it. And if you haven't repented and turned from your idols to Christ by that time, you will not be saved. You'll be made ready for judgment for your unbelief and disobedience. So it's a solemn and an urgent warning. And secondly, it's also a warning of inescapability. This is the living and the dead that will be judged. That includes everybody. It'll be the entire world that'll be judged. And so there will be no way to escape the day of Christ's coming. And people might try to hide or they might try to escape and people might even in their death think they can avoid that judgment. But there'll be no escaping that judgment for anybody. For anybody. This inescapability adds to the seriousness of this warning as it touches all people living and dead. 
Thirdly, it's also a warning that is fixed in the plans of God. It's fixed in the plans of God. And so there is no comfort in hoping that God will somehow change his mind about this. As certain as it is that Jesus was born, lived, died, rose, ascended, and sits at God's right hand, then you can bank, or at least you should bank, that God will send His Son back to judge the earth in its entirety on a day that God has appointed. Be warned that this day will not be overlooked by God or rescheduled by God or canceled by God. Heed this warning, says the Apostle. He says then, he says it now. We should also, we should see also as we confess and as we see uh, uh, in other portions of Scripture that this warning, uh, fourthly, of Christ's return is a warning of separation. Now right now, there's a bit of a foretaste of that. Right? Because God's people live in the world though they are not to be of the world. We live here to be salt to the earth, light to the world. We live differently from the world. We live here uh, to be influencing the world and not to be influenced by the world into unbelief and sin. But in the time that we live now, the separation between the church and the world is of a different nature as to what it will be at the time of judgment. In the final judgment, Christ separates the sheep from the goats, as Matthew 25 tells us. He, he separates those whom he has called out of the world from those he has not. And so he'll separate men, women, and children of true faith from those who are not. And he will separate those who have rested in Christ as Savior and Lord from those who have not. We see a, a form of this separation in our uh, day and age as, as we're to, to live a different kind of life than our former way of life. That's a separation. We're to live different from the world as aliens and strangers. and That's a separation. And we're to live as, as those who belong to Christ and, and not to evil. And that's a separation. But while we live in an anticipation of that separate, while we live in anticipation of that separation today as new creatures in Christ and in communion with God's people, it's not the separation of final judgment. That separation will be full separation, a final condemnation of body and soul to the depths of eternal punishment for unbelief, separated from the communion of God and His people forever. Reminded of Second uh, Thessalonians chapter uh, one verse nine that says to us, "They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marvelled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed." There's the separation. Paul's saying, you don't want to be part of that former crowd. There'll be a time of weeping and gnashing of teeth, says the 
the Lord Jesus in Matthew 13 when He says, don't, don't try to pull out the tares from the wheat now. That'll come. It'll be a time when those who fail to heed the Gospel will be delivered into eternal fire and flame where the worm doesn't die and the fire's not quenched. And people don't like to hear that. No, they, they don't want to hear that, that, that such a place exists. But the reason why people don't want to hear that, it's, it's the very reason why a lot of times in the way people live, they live the way they do. You know, in perversion and, and immorality. You know, and in drunkenness and what have you. It, it's because people don't like the idea that God is holy. If they have a God, if, they, if, they're, if they're religious, like Acts 17 says, they, they don't like the God that's holy. Or they don't have a God like that. And, and that any offense against that supreme majesty is deserving of that supreme penalty. And people who don't heed the warning don't believe and this is another thing, this is the last of those five things. There's not only this warning about separation, but, but they, they, they don't heed the warning that there is ultimate accountability to life. They fail to see that there, there's, this is a warning of accountability. Now people might, might sense accountability to their teachers or to the police or to judges, uh, but then again, as you know, then maybe they don't. But there's a lot of disrespect out there. And people might see that if they don't work, they won't get ahead in life. Uh, but then again, maybe not, and maybe they're even encouraged not to work in these days. But that our lives require accountability on an ultimate level, that's beyond belief with many. Failing to believe that, though, actually siphons the worth and meaning out of life. It sucks it dry. Because if there's no accountability to life, ultimately, well, what does that leave you with? It leaves you with the only alternative, and that's this, that we don't need to live accountably at all on an ultimate level. And as we can see already, that, that, that warning isn't heeded by all. Our, our passage makes that clear. Some mock while others believe. That's the way it goes. And Apostle Paul is a great leader in the church, blessed by God. And people made fun of him. And, and anybody who proclaims the gospel knows what that's like. There's people who yawn at it. There's people that have that they're apathetic about it, and there's people who ignore it. And when you try to yourself, you know, speak about the hope that's within you, you you know the kind of different responses that you'll get. The apostle's right; he's right here, but but that doesn't mean everybody's going to unanimously agree with it. And yet the warning of judgment is meant to move people to turn from their idols, whatever those idols might be, to the saving message of Jesus Christ. 
It's a grounded argument. It's the right argument. It's a, it's a saving message from the judgment, the imminent judgment that's coming. As, as, as certain as the first coming occurred, so certain is the second of Christ. There isn't any need to be saved if there's no judgment to be avoided. And thankfully there is a saving message because for certain there is judgment that is to come. And so therefore there's a warning that needs to be heeded. But if, it, if its warning is heeded, that judgment calls us also to be consoled, doesn't it? The Apostle says that Christians long for Christ's appearing in 2 Timothy 4.8. The Apostle would say that we should encourage one another with the words of Christ's return in 1 Thessalonians 4. Encourage one another with these words of His return. There's consolation there. The Apostle tells us that there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's to be the focus of our view and faith on Christ coming to judge for our consolation. We can look forward to that day. If we were to look at the judgment to come as something based on whether we're good enough, None of us would pass the test. And we'd all be condemned forever and there would be nothing to look forward to. Our, our confidence and our consolation at that judgment day has to be based, not first of all on, on all of what we, what we have done, but on all of what Christ has done for us. Has to. Consolation of the judgment of Christ's coming can can be described in, in the following four ways. First of all, it brings to believers who have known the earthly... It, it, it belongs, I should say, to believers who have known the earthly sorrows of this life. We make that confession, right? That in all my distress and persecution, I turn my eyes to the heavens where Christ is. My eyes upon Jesus. It belongs to people who have known the earthly sorrows of this life. And they, and they are those who are, have been under distress and those who are under persecution. And those are the natural and the spiritual battles that we face on this side of glory. However much good we may be able to enjoy on this side of glory and praise God for the amount that we're able to enjoy, it's not glory. Glory is what awaits the people of God. So what consoles the Christian soldier who fights a good fight of faith is that despite the sorrows of this life that come because of the effects of sin and the acts of sin, the judgment that's coming is going to transform that experience. Because the joys and the glory of heaven are going to replace the sorrows and the distresses and the persecutions on earth for Christ's church. That's what the church looks forward to. That's consoling. The consolation, secondly, is also one where one's faith looks heavenly, where Jesus is in glory right now. It's from there that Jesus will come. He's not going to come beforehand, and He's not going to come with delays in mind. 
And he's not going to come too early, and he's not going to come too late, but he's going to come at God's perfect timing. There is a day set. And he will come once for all to bring glory to those who have been waiting and watching in faith and obedience for his arrival to come. It is a waiting when we wait on the Lord. We get reminded of that throughout Scripture. Waiting on the Lord is not going to be in vain. Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when he comes, says Jesus in Luke 12.37. Thirdly, that these so consoled are the ones who see the glorious Christ as their substitute. Right? Because we wait confidently as, as we think about the one who already stood trial in my place before God and so has removed the whole curse from me. And left to ourselves, we'd never pass the test of judgment. But with Christ as our substitute, who took the curse for us, we need not fear judgment because, because God who began a good work in us in Christ is going to see it to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. And then finally and fourthly, those who heed this consolation are those who will be vindicated. Right? All his enemies in mind, he will condemn to everlasting punishment, but me and all his chosen ones, he'll take along with him into the joy and the glory of heaven. Any persecutions that have occurred in this life for the sake of Christ will be remedied by Christ. Again, in, in 2 Thessalonians 1, you hear some of these other words here. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not know, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Those who sought to persecute the church are going to get their just reward. And that's why vengeance isn't ours. That's why that's not the attitude. That's the attitude in culture. right? That's an attitude we want to, we, we, we're tempted to have. We've got to battle that within ourselves, right? Uh, but that's what, the, that's what the culture wants to teach all the time. Right? Always. It's in front of us. We want our due. We want our revenge. We want our recompense. That's not the Christian attitude. That's why vengeance isn't ours. I will repay, says the Lord. So we leave it to Him. The world doesn't catch that. Our, 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 our hearts battle against that. But we leave vengeance to Him. And in His inscrutable ways, the Lord's going to see to it that in the end, Whatever has been done against the Lord and His church is going to be vindicated by the righteous judgment of the one who judges the living and the dead. And that's one of the reasons we're called to cast our cares upon the Lord because He will, He will lift us up in due time. And therefore we live our lives, be it in distress and persecution, not as those who are going to return in kind to those who have afflicted us, but as those who know the one who will not only vindicate us, but has been the one 
who has provided and will provide us so much more than anything that others may be able to meet out against us. We have to keep that in mind. No matter how much you're tempted to return in kind, to hold a grudge, uh, to figure out a way that you can make life miserable for somebody because they made life miserable for you, keep in mind, says the Scriptures in essence, keep in mind, that no matter what people are doing to you, what is that in comparison to what the Lord has provided you and what the Lord will provide you? So much more than anything that others have done against you. And that's why Paul would say in Romans 8 that the sufferings of this present time are worth, not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. And why then, right, the calling for us then is, is to be not reflections of those who have afflicted us, but to be reflections of the one who's provided exceedingly more than all we could ask for a man. We can see then why the judgment day that's coming cannot be seen in any other way than a consolation and a comfort for the people of God. And therefore we wait in faith and hope and love. And we wait by being a blessing to God's people in Christ. That's how we wait. For as we love them, we show our love for Christ to whom they belong. So the Christian profession of faith anticipates the return of Christ by heeding the warning of that return, but also heeding the consolation of that return. Turning from what cannot save us from that judgment, and turning to Him who can. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the message of the church to the world. And that's to be our profession to that world. This is the profession that allows us to face the future with certainty as we anticipate the return of Christ on the clouds of glory. What good news for our lives. Amen.